0: Today's guest is Ren Lloyd, who is a UK-based homeopath known as the International Homeopath. She specializes in working with children with autism spectrum symptoms and related conditions like PANS, PANDAS, ADHD, and fungal and metal toxicity. She's also the founder of International Homeopaths for Autism, and she also trains homeopaths in building their practices with a view to helping to meet the world's need for for homeopaths. Check out her website at internationalhomeopath.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we get to hang out with Ren Lloyd, a lovely homeopath in the UK, also known as the International Homeopath. Welcome to the show, Ren. Thank you, Ginny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were just saying before, it feels like we know each other because we've had lots of Facebook chats back and forth and I finally managed to get you on the show. I wonder, Ren, can you tell
1: our listeners how you were first introduced to homeopathy? Have you ever heard the story of the enormous turnip, where the, everybody queues up to try and pull the turnip out of the soil? It's a children's tale. And when I was 15, my mom had a slipped disc, which would happen quite often. She was laid up for about three weeks and she had lots of different people come in to do different things. I imagine they were osteopaths and chiropractors and so on and so forth. She had different people coming in. And finally, there was a woman lived across the street from us that we didn't really know. She was a Dutch lady lived behind a big green hedge. And she came across the street and she put a little pill under my mum's tongue. And within 30 30 minutes, my mum was walking around. And that was my introduction to homeopathy. And then I didn't use it. I mean, we used it a little tiny bit. I didn't use it until probably I was in my 30s and I was working as a Montessori teacher and I fell pregnant. And prior to that, I'd been using antihistamines every day of the week, for years. And I didn't want to use them when I was pregnant. One of my co-teachers was a homeopath and she gave me histaminum hydrochloricum. That was, I think, my first remedy. And then I, again, didn't use it very much until I moved into the house of my I had a homeopath when I came back to England from America and I had terrible homesickness for America and so I saw a homeopath and then I bought his house I lived (laughs) in the house of a homeopath and the funny thing was is I was already living in another house of a homeopath I didn't realize that the homeopath that I knew had lived there before so I think it's probably meant to be. That (laughs) is really cool. And now I first met you through
0: the Facebook group homeopathic practice building, which is for professional homeopaths. And you've got a few mm-hmm. thousand members in there now and yourself and the lovely Alan Freestone started that page. I've been in that group, I think about two years, maybe three or so. And how did that group come about? What sort of things do you do in there? And I know that the professional homeopaths are listening to this. Their ears will be
1: perking up right now. Tell us a little bit about that. So Alan formed that group, I think it was 2015. Because he was concerned that something like 95% of homeopaths never build a practice. He was very concerned about that. And I was a student homeopath at the time looking for 10 cases. So I was lurking in that group preparing to look for 10 cases for my study cases. Then I think at some point, Alan decided that he wasn't going to run the group or something like that, but he didn't have time to do it because he was extremely busy. And I think his practice had just really soared at that point. So a couple of us took on, I think it was me and Emma Banks, took on admin with him at that point. But my purpose is always to stand next to whoever I can learn most from. And so for me, the purpose was to stand next to somebody I could sort of be helpful to and absorb their knowledge like a sponge. So I, I don't know if Alan knows that's what I've been doing. I, I guess he does. And it's also been sort of fairly back and forwards. We both work within autism and probably I work within autism because Alan does and I sponged from Alan (laughs) I've been like an Alan sponge that's probably what happened so then really the precept of the group is for people to stop being frightened to market Mm. to stop being frightened to get paid stop being frightened to be seen and so we have a a, it's fairly hard-hitting group if you come into the group There's actually a question in the group where you agree that you kind of leave your snowflake on the mat, as Alan would put it. And so we do a lot of quite hard hitting work in there. And we have some pretty remarkable students like Mary Greensmith, who was one of our homeopathic practice building students when Alan and I actually ran a course together. It's a good group. The precept is about people working together, not competing with each other, but working together and, and giving each other a leg up rather than being as Alan would say, crabs in a bucket. You know, you imagine the crabs putting their arms out and giving a a leg up to each crab so that the crabs can all rise together and get out of that bucket. And then all the people in the world can get healed because we need so many homeopaths. I've heard you say that.
0: So many, there's billions of people on the planet. There is definitely not enough of us to heal what needs to be healed. I always say this with a little bit of caution, but us homeopaths can be a strange bunch. I'm feeling that tide is turning a little bit. But there certainly has, I mean, I've been in practice for 10 years now and I I feel like the last little bit, maybe it's just because I'm living in my little bubble with a podcast, but I feel like things are starting to change a little bit where us as a profession are becoming a bit more coming from a place of abundance rather than from a place of scarcity. Yes. And I know that you've seen that as well. Like, why do you
1: think that is? Why are we like that? (laughs) I actually think it's because A, we've been scared to market because Hmm. the idea of getting paid as a healer has some historical kind of conflict. The mm-hmm. idea that you should be a healer and you should, ne- sh- you should not get paid. But Alan taught me early on, this is an exchange of energies. Money is only an exchange of enemy- energies, not enemies. And <laughs> what's the conflict in that? For me, I look at it this way. I'm giving moments of my breathing life. These are moments of my breathing life unto you. These are valuable moments. They're gonna enhance your breathing life. And there's a, a huge amount of worth in that. I also found that when people don't pay, they don't evaluate. And when mm. they don't evaluate, they don't see the value of something, they stop coming. And that's a loss to the patient. So I think it's actually very important that people pay, and it's important for professionals that they pay well, that homeopaths are paid well because the job is exhausting. We did a lot of professional development. But it also we need to know that it's a medical – I know that we can't say that, <laughs> but it mm. is a medical and very efficient – healing method. So it's really important that we show its value by not asking for sort of hairdressing prices, but to ask for the kind of price that matches what we're doing, the seriousness of our profession, and then sort of lowering those prices for people that need access. I've now forgotten what the original question was. (laughs) It doesn't really matter.
0: (laughs) No, just how we, why why do, why you think us as a profession are (laughs) so, tends to be so close. What's the word scarcity minded as opposed to abundance minded?
1: Yeah. First of all, fear to market. Yeah. Fear to market. And then the second point being that we, I think that people have always been geographically limited in the past. So if another homeopath came into town and people are not particularly aware of homeopathy, or there's a lot of scepticism about homeopathy, your food can be scarce. Mm. And I think that's where the scarcity mindset comes from. But the more that homeopathy has become resurged, and the further field we can fish for our patients, then the more we can collaborate. And I think Alan used to refer to it as crabs in a bucket. Homeopaths mm. behave too often like crabs in a bucket. And now I think what we've always tried to really promote in homeopathic practice building is working together mm. and seeing the abundance, seeing that in actual fact, we really need to be great at communicating. This is what marketing is, communicating, because people need to know this alternative is out there because mm. we've got a health crisis going on. And so what we've tried to do in homeopathic practice building is really bust through that crabs in a bucket mentality and keep saying to people, no, the crabs need to put their arms out to Mm -hmm. give a leg up to the next crab that all the crabs can get out of the bucket if we work together share our knowledge don't be stingy Mm. with your knowledge share your knowledge and that's what alan was doing for absolutely for free in that group Mm. he was sharing all his knowledge how he'd become very successful in practice and to the point that if he needs patience he just pops up a little on facebook and then he's inundated again and then he goes back down (laughs) that's what we teach we've gotten quite some way towards helping to change the culture but I suspect that's been happening elsewhere as well I know there are groups all over like Sarah and Angelica's group Mm. in Australia and America America. there's a lot of groups coming up Mm. and I don't think it's just from homeopathic practice building I think that whole mood has changed as our ability to reach further afield has changed and actually, mm. Rita
0: Kara Robinson has; she's on been on the show as well. She's also got a few mm. homeopaths on her team, and just today, I got a fourth homeopath oh, on my team, so I'm really excited. I did work in a clinic in New Zealand, a multimodality clinic, so there was a chiropractor, massage therapist, behavioural optometrist, and so I wasn't completely alone. But I have yeah. had a home clinic where I literally was all on my own and it was incredibly lonely and you would do like online courses and things like that often recorded ones so I still be sitting there in my little room by myself but now having this team of homeopaths where we can just quickly bounce ideas off each other if you're stuck with the case it's just so much more fun and just instead of struggling through something by yourself, you can get an answer in minutes just by reaching out Mm. and you get to know each other and learn from each other. And everyone looks at case from a different angle. So That's really exciting. And Mm. I know that you and Alan are doing great. I wasn't in the Zoom call the other day where you were talking about how you can encourage other practitioners to work together more in groups as well. And I think something has come out of that. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So Alan has been interested in, Alan Freestone has been interested in many, many years in having a physical clinic for the same reasons we were just talking about working alone. It can be very isolating being a homeopath working alone. And I think part of that is why he set up homeopathic practice building in the first place. And he's so keen on homeopaths to collaborate because it's really hard to be isolated. You can imagine it, sit and imagine it. I know that we've all been there. And as you said, Eugenie, that uh, it was isolating for you and having a Mm. team, there's so much in it. So Alan's been looking for years and years and years to do this in a physical form. And then students of his, I consider myself a student of Mm. his, have gone off and i've been saying to him for six years do it why not have a virtual version of this why do you have to have a geographical one have a virtual one and uh, he's been resisting for all this time but i think mary and i have gone across mary greensmith has built homeopathy 24 7 so successfully and then my team's been running international homeopaths for autism for f- two years now two years in april and I think he's just been able to see how well it works. So there, mm. there's some ways in which we come full circle and now he's benefiting from what his students have been mm. doing. We've been building these teams. And he can see that we're having this rich professional life. We don't have to be in the room together. Mm. So Alan, because he's such a maverick and he builds these great, he has massive ideas Mm. and he wants to build these big processes or big Mm. organizations. He's just a powerhouse of energy ideas. And so he's just recently, I think, set up the Harlem Clinic in the UK. Knowing Alan, it'll be a big collaborative Mm. organization with specializations in different areas. He's very keen on specializing, homeopath specializing. Not because we don't treat everything, we do. But because it's the best way to communicate what we do is to specialise in order for people to understand and see us out of the millions and millions of homeopaths, hopefully, that there are worldwide. So I think that's what he's doing is I think it's up and running, the Hahnemann Mm. Clinic. Mm. And I love that he's done homage to Hahnemann with the name. I think that's really good. And I
0: completely agree Mm. with homeopaths specializing in a particular area. It's something I was very resistant to doing because I like lots of variety. Mm. And so I resisted it for a long time. And then about four years ago, I just made the decision that I was only going to treat women and children. And though that's not like a specialty Mm. as such. But mm-hmm. even just making that decision of no, I'm not going to be treating men because that's some I have people <laughs> ask me and still do, why don't you treat men? I have nothing against men. It's just that is not my passion. <laughs> my passion is treating women, you know, when they're pregnant with their little bubbies, because that is the area that I feel homeopathy can make the biggest impact. If we can get those mm-hmm. babies, you just treat it with homeopathy from a young age. That's going to make the biggest impact. And that's where my passion lies. So for me to make that decision, it was a big, you know, I really had that in my brain for like months. And just was so worried yes. about it. I was like, oh, I feel so bad doing this. I don't want to say no to any business, but it also doesn't feel right for me. And once I made that decision, it was actually just so wonderful. And everything really flowed on from that once I made the decision. So, any home yes. listening to this, if you've been thinking about specializing in the area, just go for it. The other thing is also, there are gazillions of homeopathic courses and books out there. So when you specialize in mm. an area, you already have those blinkers on that you then just go for certain courses and certain books instead of trying to do everything that's out there. So you really are honing yeah. your skill and also saving a lot of money <laughs> because you're just purchasing the mm. books and the courses that are yeah. in alignment with what it is that you do. Yeah,
1: and I think especially with this. Uh, because I niche in an area of autism, I specialize in an autism homeopath. I think if you are trying to specialize in everything, homeopaths, obviously, we treat everything because we're treating the whole person. So I am going to see every condition and every person. I never say no to anybody. Mm. So I do see everybody. But because I talk mostly about autism mm. and I study mostly about autism, I think in particular with autism it's a really important area to have specialist knowledge Um very often it's a very deep pathology and you're coming across extremely blocked cases and I've mm. tended to sit in a space where I began to get a reputation for treating very blocked autism cases which is like being Sherlock Holmes the best of times. They're trying to find out sometimes somebody has been to four or five homeopaths Mm. the parents of children with autism are very good at sticking they just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying Mm. and they will have heard so many people say what wonderful results their children have had with autism and if their child is not having those results with homeopathy they will keep coming so I think Mm. the most I've had is somebody who'd seen seven homeopaths and then came and we did actually crack what the problem was we cracked it And for me, I need to be mentally very challenged to stay involved with something. And so for me, that's been a really good, that's been a really good thing. I am tired now. It takes Mm -hmm. a huge amount of brain power. Um, But we've, as I can then bring all that information that I have to my team Mm -hmm. and the lovely structure about my team, International Homeopaths for Autism, is I've. It's almost like an atom, I think, with me at the centre and then an electron ring of Chan Baden and Alex Taylor and Philippa um, Fibbett, who's mostly the research element of our team. And then we've got another electron ring of people that came in afterwards. And now Chan mentors two of them, Alex mentors two of them. And we meet as a whole team, but we've got a teaching structure that's really quite sustainable mm. and as I think Chan now is getting to the point where she's full I'm full my waiting list is closed mm. so I refer out to Chan and Alex and Gillian and Shahin and soon Rina we've got about eight in the team now and we have some are newly qualified a couple are newly qualified in our new ring of team members and then two of them are sort of 15 to 20 years in practice who are bringing their. Excellent homeopathic skills to specialize in autism. So they're now coming and picking up the knowledge that they need Mm -hmm. and bringing us knowledge as well. So, uh, Gillian Whitehead, who's in my team, is looking at specializing in fungi because that for me turned out to be a massive missing link in autism treatment. And they do think that some of the reason why more boys have autism than than girls is because they're more susceptible to ocratoxin A, which is a fungal toxin. And one of my patients sent me a video from William Shaw, who is from the Great Plains Lab in America. And he was talking about fungi and autism. And I looked at the work they were doing. They were doing it with allopathics and they were having to monitor the child's liver the whole time. And I thought, well, we can do all this work with homeopathy uh, without any side effects. So this is what I did is I went and I produced a remedy called Polyfungi Plus which addresses lots of different kinds of molds, mm. like of, as full a spectrum as we can, as zones. So actual homeopathic remedies made out of the molds. It addresses all five forms of candida and it also address addresses Clostridia difficile at the same time. We could only find one form of Clostridia, but these things, microbes tend to inhabit the same space, cause problems. When you knock one down, one comes up. So it's a little bit like, whack-a-mole so I've designed it in order that we treat those all three together and that's based upon William Shaw's work that he was doing with allopathy and it's had like amazing results we've been able to crack some of the cases we couldn't crack before and so it comes in now that for me that detox comes in right at the top Mm -hmm. Uh, we detox steroids first always but then we look at using homeopathic detox to detox fungi Mm -hmm. next it's an absolute big game changer Mm. The results have been phenomenal. So I've been training my team in that. And then they're training the next ring. And gradually we will have, uh, Chan will become an atom and she'll have her rings. Mm. And this is a structure that I'm really hoping that will come out as a mentoring, teaching and collaborating structure Mm. for team building. It's quite permaculture.
0: Specializing Mm. in something like autism is pretty full on because Often they are cases Mm -hmm. that they're going to be in your clinic long-term and you often are not going to see something like something significant for quite a while, because there's a lot of groundwork that has to be done first. So I do, I was always hesitant to specialize in that area because I just was worried about my own mental health Mm -hmm. because I was thinking this could potentially, Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be like specializing in something like cancer, which it's actually, it's just so heavy I do now consider autism as one of my specialties and behavioral disorders and things like that. That's, I don't think I could do just that. Like I would need something Mm. else because it is, it's, it can be so hard, especially if you have cases with severely autistic children and it's so heavy and it affects the whole family. It's not like something like eczema where you're just treating the child or a cough or So, I mean, a cough is still tricky Mm because it kind of does affect the whole rest of the house, but it's not like an illness that just affects that person. It really affects the whole house and not just the whole house, but the Mm -hmm. whole school, the whole community, wherever they go, everyone around them is affected by this as well, depending on the severity, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is pretty impressive Mm -hmm. that you specialize in that area. But I do wonder how you would kind of keep yourself grounded and positive and not get burnout when you are specialising in an area like that.
1: Yeah, and because what uh, particularly Chan and I do is we specialise also in a comorbidity of autism. And another condition that's very common with autism, I don't know that it's very common, but we see it, it's very common for us to see it, is pandas and pans, paediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric Mm. syndromes, which are triggered by things like moulds or strep, Mm. Lyme disease, there are a bunch of others, it can be HHV6, there are a bunch of things that can trigger an autoimmune response in the child. And we know that uh, there's an autoimmune element in autism and we see a lot of autoimmunity in the parents, children with autism. So I think they are beginning to suspect that autism has an autoimmune element to itself. Mm. So we see some really sort of difficult hardcore cases. I'm thinking of one particular case of a mother who had a child who had such severe autism and PANS, I'm sure it was PANS that he had, and it was related to HHV6, I think, that she had a second child and she had to keep the second child who was a baby in a playpen and she had to sit on the sofa with her child with autism and she couldn't attend to the other child. And it was creating such a stress and a strain in her And she had an abusive upbringing herself. So she had quite a lot of PTSD going on. And she was worried that she was going to lose her shit with her Mm. child with autism. This was like an incredibly distressing situation. And you have to come into that situation a lot. You know, this kind of situation I'm coming into in consultations a lot. And I have to be able to co-regulate the nervous system of the, the parent. Mm. that I'm talking to. So I come in with my homeopath a long time ago taught me when I first started practicing to put like a pink tower of energetic Mm. rings around me. And I think of it like the pink Michelin man, (laughs) build the towers up and put one and pink because love can come in and out, but nothing else. And I found when I first started practicing that I would end the day with everybody's symptoms because I'm an empath. And I would physically have everybody's symptoms at the end of the day, and I'd have to try and shake off all these symptoms. And it can be useful to take that down, look at, feel somebody's symptoms and then put it back up. But mostly now, for me, my tower is up. Mm. And my job when I come in is to, um, because I have CPTSD, I have to try to co-regulate the people that are in my Zoom office. I don't Mm. consult face-to-face, probably because of Mm. that it's very difficult to co-regulate somebody who's dysregulated in the same room Mm. and a lot of the time I do find that parents are quite their nervous systems are quite dysregulated they've been in Mm. what feels like a war zone absolutely and so that and me working in that area for six years as an empath is very tiring Mm. and so what I'm moving towards more is teaching Mm. teaching my team and they are fresh (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and moving really to some less complex cases yeah. maybe going back to my original or my original niche was anxiety but I'm really interested in teaching PTSD and uh, not teaching but treating PTSD mm. I've been working quite a lot with veterans and other people with and teaching them grounding teaching them regulating and doing the homeopathy alongside to mend things like bomb wounds and so on to the nervous system and Mm. also childhood trauma it's close Mm. to my heart for having been working with that myself for Mm. a couple of years now Mm. I had to take a a short time out so I've learned a huge amount about CPTSD and about Mm. treating that so my heart feels like it's going in that direction Mm. um but I don't want to abandon Mm-hmm. all these people there's the autism particularly the severe end of autism and the comorbidities of autism this is such a crucial area for us to be working in I actually mm-hmm. feel like it's more of an issue for us as humanity than peak oil this mm-hmm. idea that we're going to run out of oil or peak antibiotics the idea that we're going to run out of usable antibiotics we mm-hmm. actually think that peak autism is probably the biggest thing that we need to look at Yeah, And I think that it's coming about via super amounts of toxicity Mm. and super amounts of suppression. Yeah, And we see this every time we take the history of a child, you see super amounts of suppression. And every time you look at their organic acids tests or their hair metal tests, you see super amounts of toxicity. Mm. And what we're trying to do is unsuppress their immune system and reduce their toxicity. And that's why we have such great results. So I'm planning more to do more teaching and to withdraw a bit more. I've closed my waiting list for autism cases Mm. and to withdraw a little bit more towards those cases that are lighter to still have use of my skills in order to give those skills to other people. Because I don't want to abandon this area, but I think six years in this area, Mm. working with this level of intensity, looking at these cases that are really stuck and really challenging, really challenging situations, like the mother who couldn't get off the sofa whose child screamed from the beginning of the day. As soon as he woke up, he screamed all day. And I actually gave her Pulsatilla an attending. And uh, she came back to me the next session and she was really breezing it. I was quite gobsmacked and I thought something wonderful must've happened with her child. I thought, wow, the child must've had a breakthrough. And she's like, no, no, it's not that. It's just, (laughs) you know, her whole perspective was different and that enabled us to go through and get the breakthrough with her child i'm pretty sure was herpes virus hhv6 a kind of um hhv6 encephalitis really which is plans in his case but it just being able to support the mother so mm. obviously i can support myself homeopathically as well mm. if i'm getting overwhelmed but also to be prepared to move in a different direction when i get to the point where i think actually i'm a little weary now mm. when i take in a new autism case i'm like my heart's not in it in the same way i don't have the energy for it that i had before Mm. so um i'm really have the energy for teaching other people that's what i've been doing for two years and part of my plan was that i was beginning to feel tired two years ago it's different pivot i think
0: it's wonderful that you're passing that knowledge on because There is so much professional development and so much time in the clinic that goes into acquiring these skills. So being able to then pass that on is really wonderful. And we Um, all look at a case from a different angle. So I think the more people that you can learn from as well, the more we as practitioners can develop our own style. And yeah, that's wonderful that you're passing that on it's very interesting that we said about the peak autism i never really thought about it that way but i have often thought about what is going to happen in 10 20 Mm. years time when these kitties are adults and we're Mm. much older and they have to function in this world and what's going to happen who's going to look Uh. after them how are we going to heal all of this like how are we Mm. going to clean up all this mess that's also why i think we just need gazillions more homeopaths mm. to help and we need to have homeopathy yeah. funded by the government systems because it's such a affordable form of mm. medicine but i don't really see how else we're going to get out of this other than with homeopathy because it's effective it's yeah. affordable it can make yeah. real change but yeah the cases are definitely getting trickier. and yeah. the
1: first place we have to start is probably and this is a contentious um i don't a lot of people will look in on autism and there's a lot of people will say it's down to vaccination Mm. and actually the way that I see that it's down to vaccination is that vaccines actually suppress the immune system to some point Mm. and also you will have a situation where you're shedding virus through the ears or you're shedding it through the skin. And so you're going to see ear infections, what appear to be ear infections. And you're going to see things like eczema. And you will also see things like colic, where the baby is shedding virus via the gut, etc. You've got all of these problems that seem to come in when we look at the timeline of the child shortly after vaccines. Mm. Either the level of the health drops slightly after vaccines and that gradually. I think George Vithorkas would say that with vaccines will lower the level of health to the point which you can't produce symptoms of diseases. And so, you know, you get to the point where you no longer have fevers and you no longer are susceptible to this level of disease. You have a susceptibility to a different level of disease, not these Mm. childhood diseases. And so we see much more chronic conditions in children. Nowadays, we're seeing more and more chronic conditions through the suppression of acutes because the child doesn't have acutes. We're preventing them from having acutes. Mm. So the immune system doesn't mature properly. And when they do have an acute, we suppress it with antibiotics. Or fever reduces, and the acute is a cycle, it's a natural cycle the body sets up. And if we keep interrupting the cycle and the mm. cycle's never completed, the acute inflammation is stored as chronic inflammation, and we begin to see major chronic problems in our children. So this is quite a big problem. I think that vaccines are one of the ways, or the vaccines are the beginning of things, and then we give steroids for eczema, we mm. give antacids for colic, and we give antibiotics for ear infections, and that enables fungi to come into the system. Mm. We've got a massive epidemic of fungal disorders in our cultures, mm. and some children are going to respond to them with what look like autistic symptoms. Mm. And so I actually think yeah, vaccines are really important in this whole mix, but they are often a precursor because they're just really suppressing the immune system in some point. Mm eventually I think if we want to recover from this as a species we're going to have to experience childhood diseases we're going to have to go through the natural route Mm. and that's going to be very difficult because we don't have mothers with immunity Mm. this is your area mothers don't have enough immunity to confer to their babies Mm. so I'm not entirely sure how we get out of this crisis Mm. I don't think we're going to get out of it easily and I think hopefully we'll get out of it by innovating in some way and maybe Maybe we'll get out of it via homeopathy.
0: I think removing the fear around disease yeah. is going to be go a long way. Yeah. And actually just seeing it as the body's natural response to trying to create balance instead of something that needs to be yes. killed off and sliced out and suppressed in some yes. way. But obviously, you said about yeah. the vaccinations, but it's these days it starts so much earlier than that preconception with yeah. mum and Dad already in, in a toxic yeah. state, often IVF, mm-hmm. then loads of medications, yeah. antidepressants, on Danzatron, yeah. things like that during the pregnancy, mum on antibiotics, mum on painkillers, then such highly medicated oh. births quite often, and loads of prophylactic yeah. antibiotics <clears throat> at birth. and. So the state that our children are just starting out their lives before they've even started out their lives is on such a massive Mm. back foot. But yeah, I think that's why I really believe homeopathy is the answer. And I think getting back to nature is the answer. Getting back in touch with our intuition as mothers Mm. is the answer and not fearing disease, not seeing it as something that we need to get rid of as quickly as possible, but just seeing it as our body's signal of telling us that we're out of balance and instead of suppressing it and soldiering on actually taking the time to listen to what our body's trying to tell us that i've recently purchased that book it's called a secret language of your body and it's by ina siegel s-e-g-a-l and i've recently started using that in my clinic so a client will come in and they will have a swollen right knee or they will have a lower back pain or they'll have arthritis or psoriasis and i'll look it up in the book and i'll say I'll have them read it out what it means and it might be something to do with feeling rejected or outward Mm. appearances being important or this or that and I'll say Mm. to them do you feel that this is something that resonates with you and often they will say yes it really does Mm. sometimes it doesn't but most cases it does and if we can start Mm. seeing our symptoms as our body's way of communicating with us instead of something that needs to be suppressed Mm. I think that's going to make a huge difference in our relationship to disease and our immune system and
1: getting yeah. back to balance. I agree with you on that. And it's been really intriguing for me because I've been working. I did the first year of breathwork practitioner ah. with the first breath UK in the last year in part as part of my own healing for uh, complex PTSD. And it was amazing, fascinating for me as a homeopath to be in a group of 16 people watching them come up with certain condition during a session, breathe through it and clear this condition. It was really fascinating to see how the pain came up in the body, where it came up in the body, and how they worked it through with talking and breathing and exploring. And this kind of book has come up very much in that area. And that was fascinating for me as a homeopath because that's what we're always trying to explore. When did it start? Mm. When did this thing start? And I'm always looking at what happened? What were you doing at that time? You know, where were you? What were you feeling? What had happened around you? This problem started for a reason. Problems don't start without a reason. Your Mm. susceptibility is there. But something has happened to cause you to trigger this susceptibility. Mm. And, you know, it would be something like they went to university and they were away from home for the first time or And what were you feeling at that time? And so sometimes that can really lead you to the remedy in the Mm. same way. And even sometimes just breathing through it, like seriously proper breathing, not just the day-to-day breathing that we do, but a kind of releasing um, psychotherapeutic breathing. I've seen people shift things. And I think homeopathy does something similar. It shifts the energy. Mm. It helps the person shift the energy that's stuck in the body at that point homeopathy is great for that but can I just nip quickly back to what we were discussing just before about peak autism etc I am forever an optimist there's part of me that looks at us as part of nature and we are moving through nature this is part of our evolution is that we were going to get all these tools and we're going to muck it up fairly spectacularly And then we're going to work out that we've mucked it up and we're going to have to cobble it back together. And I think homeopathy is a big part of that because we can treat these acute childhood diseases. We can allow Mm. our children to have them. And we can also prevent the ones that we don't want our children to have using what Isaac Golden has done a lot of research Mm. on homeoprophylaxis. And it is contentious, but it shouldn't be contentious because there's so much data on the use of homeoprophylaxis in Mm. humans. It's phenomenal. And we can actually treat and prevent diseases that there aren't vaccines for. Mm. so if we if, could you imagine if we embrace this system finally mm. and we start to bring this into the mainstream? I would like in my lifetime what I'm holding the image of. it's in my lifetime, we bring homeopathy into our systems Mm. we bring homeopathy in to treat childhood diseases and we stop vaccinating Mm. in the long run we get the courage to stop vaccinating Mm. we get the courage to allow our children to be sick Mm. and to celebrate Mm. when they have a fever to have a little party my child's got a fever hallelujah I know all is well because my child's got a 39 fever this is brilliant it doesn't feel great to have flu but wow I've got flu my body's going to kill off the flu is going to kill off all the compromised cells or most mm. of the comp- compromised cells in my body, this is nature's detox. Mm. That's why we still get it. We've evolved out of everything else. We haven't evolved out of getting these viruses. Mm. Why? Why haven't we? Partly because the viruses change ra- rapidly, but also because they're useful to the human body for cleaning us up. Mm. So we need to totally change our attitude. Yes. Some people will have problems with flu and measles and so on but we're not criminals or dangerous people being homeopaths because we know that we treat whooping cough in small babies we treat measles in children etc and we have the tools to do that it's just read dorothy shepherd for Mm. example you know the magic of the minimum dose in the 1938 she was treating things that people would think were untreatable i think before antibiotics and so on And Mm. so homeopathy has the power to do all this. We're not being irresponsible. We're actually Mm. providing a solution for humanity. Mm. That's what we're doing. Mm. It's there. Mm. I'm such an optimist because I'm a homeopath. Without it, I think I would just be miserable.
0: (laughs) So, Ren, is there a final message that you want to give to our listeners? Uh And also, how can people get hold of you?
1: You can look me up online, International Homeopath. You can look my team up, International Homeopaths for Autism. If you're a homeopath, you can come to Homeopathic Practice Building Group. I think I'm fairly easy to find. I have had a name change last May. I changed from Sally to Ren, So my name is now on Facebook, Ren Sheefer-Lloyd. And uh, you can come and look me up, come and find me. Tell me in what way you want to collaborate. And hopefully I'll have a finger in a pie somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Usually that will be useful. So, and I'm really happy to be working with people, you know, collaboratively with lots of different people in different situations. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And we'll have Alan on the show soon as well. So (laughs) I'm quite looking forward to having a conversation with
1: him too, but thank you so much for your time, Brain. I really appreciate it. That's going to be exciting. Usually, it's her pleasure. An absolute pleasure. Finally had the courage to jump in and do it. And thanks for all the <laughs> invites. It was an absolute pleasure. Chat with you soon. Bye. Yeah, we'll do.